0: It's another episode of The Ranting Cast. I'm your host, Frank R. Curry, and with me as our guest today is Brian Cozio of WGR. You can follow him at Twitter at BrianWGR. Brian, how you doing?
1: Hey, Frank. Great to be here. How are you?
0: Good, good. Yeah, so... So for people who don't know, Brian, he's the host of Tee to Green on WGR. It's, uh, it's every Saturday morning at uh, 9 a.m. And then he's also the Sabres pregame host, intermission host, postgame host as well for all the Sabres games. Uh, so that means we're going to focus a lot on the Sabres today. But because you're also the host of Tee to Green, I want to talk a little bit of golf as well, because golf doesn't really get talked about all that much. Um, so let, let's actually start with that. Uh, we just had the President's Cup happened this weekend and team USA gets the win over the world team. Uh What would you think of the tournament?
1: Well, the us performed really well. Um, overall, I think especially on Sunday, you got to some of the singles matches and, and some of these United States players, I think love playing in match play because these pros play stroke play events all year. So yeah. to play in these match play events, it's so much different uh, for those that, like to go out and play golf, you know, with your friends. Match play is a really fun thing to play, too. So um, uh, having a team event and you're playing for your country, uh, not a lot of these players that played in the President's Cup got a chance to experience the Olympics. That Mm -hmm. golf has now been a sport for the last two Summer Olympics, so that's something different. But obviously a great performance by the United States. They've dominated this President's Cup event now. Um, It's gone on 14 times. They've won it 12 of the 14 times. It is, um, it's an event that I think has potential, but it'll never be maybe what the Ryder Cup is, where that, for those who yeah. don't know, that's the United States versus Europe. Uh, this event, the President's Cup, is the United States versus essentially the rest of the world that's not Europe. And, you know, with, with golf being so popular now uh, in the Asian countries, South Africa, Canada, it's an oppor- Mexico, it's an opportunity to get some of these other international golfers that don't play in the Ryder Cup a chance to play in a team, you know, for your country, you know, sort of event. And uh, so that's kind of how this all event took out. It's still uh, dominated by the United States as it was this year. Again, it was a little closer going into Sunday, but uh, overall some tweaks here and there I still think could make it a little better. But in general, that's uh, that's kind of what the event is. Basically, it's, it's a Ryder Cup style event, uh, and the United States won yesterday uh, in the four-day event over the international team.
0: It's still fun, too, because you're still going to have a lot of great golfers playing in in that event. I mean, for Team USA, it was led by Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and a a guy who always seems to perform well in match play. Kevin Kisner, who I really like, I I think match play in its own right is something that doesn't get used enough on the PGA and the DP World Tour. I I wish that, you know, they, they have the match play event every year. Um, That takes place in, I believe it's February or March. That's um, Mm -hmm. one of the world, one of the WGC events. Uh, I wish that they had another tournament that incorporated match play too. I, I think it's so underused in golf and it is, you're right. It is such a fun play style for people, you know, just a foursome to God or even just two people, you know, go out, go have a match, go, you know, don't just play stroke, play, play match, play, you know, Play different styles. I mean, that's what golf's all about for me and at least. It's just about just playing different ways and having fun with your friends doing it. And match play is something that definitely needs to be shown off more, too. I think I think if we had, they had another match play event, maybe even two other match play events, you know, more people would be interested in
1: it. I agree. It's only really once used on the tour, as you mentioned, uh, in that event in Texas. Yep. I think, you know, you have the Ryder Cups every other year. This President's Cups every other year. But individually, it would be kind of cool if there could be some sort of, I don't know, halfway season, I don't know if you'd call it an all-star event or something like that where maybe they could have a team, but it also turns into match play. But these guys individually love playing match play. There's so much to it in the sense that there's um, the strategy, is changes they, a little. Yeah. I, what it really does is I think it gives you more exciting play. Because when you're playing stroke play, you may be a little bit more conservative, uh, Frank, as you know. I mean, hey, I'm going to try to shoot over the water here. I'm going to go for the pin, all these sort of things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: knowing that maybe there's a risk involved. But the reward could be you win the hole. But if you if you mess up, okay, you lose the hole, you go on to the next hole. But right. in stroke play, you might lose two strokes, three strokes, and that could cost you enough for the tournament. On the next tee box, it resets, so it doesn't matter. So I think that's why you get a little bit more of excitement in that manner. I think players would be – up for playing another event like that uh you know and and you know when you're out there playing with your friend i think match play is great because guess what all of us that are not on the pga tour we mess up because golf's super hard
0: yeah
1: when you mess up yeah right you lose the hole but your day isn't ruined you didn't lose your whole day you can come back and win the next hole and it's it's sawed right off again so i i think that what what makes that match play so much fun is because of that element. And there is your, and there are different ways to do it. Like you said, you can play um, if you're playing in a group of four, you can team up two versus two. That's a fun thing to do where mm-hmm. you can, everybody can still play their own ball. You can have your own yeah. score. So if that's important to you to keep your own score, you can do that and you can do what they do in, in the best ball format where everybody plays their own ball. And Frank, if you and I are a partner uh, partnered together, you know, whoever scores better on that hole that counts towards our team. That's the team. Yep. Yeah. So there's the team element and the individual element. And then there's the other format that they play, which is called alternate shot. Yep. And that one to me is very pressure packed where you might hit the tee shot. And then I have to hit the approach shot and then you have to go back and now and putt. And if you put your partner in a troubled spot, you feel terrible. And yeah, Frank, if you hit an amazing shot, and I've got a five foot putt. Boy, do I feel extra pressure now not to miss this because I'm not like, he, yeah, hey, I'm missing for us. But man, Frank hit his best shot of the day here. I better make this putt, you know. So mm-hmm.
0: gotta make gotta oh, man, make that shot good. worth it. You could that's also right. play uh play a scramble too.
1: That's right. And that event, no. and and sometimes people mess up best ball and scramble. Best ball, you're playing your own ball and you count the best score. Yep. Scramble, you and I both hit. And then whoever shot we decide is we the better shot. Which shot that we're going to we take hit the next yeah. shot from there. That's called the yeah. scramble. And that's probably the most popular format to play when people are playing in either like a charity event or a corporate event or something like that through their work or through a company. Or, you know, if you've gotten invited to a charity event at some point, that's probably the most popular because that's the least amount of pressure. You know, you yeah. might be playing in a foursome or even a twosome. If you mess up. All right. Well, so what? You use your partner's ball and your ball. You you can just pick it up and bring it over. You know, to the. It
0: puts a little more pressure on your partner than if you take the first shot and you you know hit into the water, hit it an ob, and then your partner's got to now put, just keep you in play. Right. But so you you well, you put that aspect into it as well. But absolutely, I mean, I I think these kind of these play styles, these ways, you know, just ways, other ways to play golf need to be incorporated more and it, just to generate more interest in it from you know, even just a casual fans who might only play on the weekends, who might only play maybe not only once a week, maybe once every other week or something like that. You know, you, you, you get more people seeing, seeing, Oh, these are other ways I can play golf. I want to do it myself now. And it may, I think, I think that'll draw a lot more interest in in uh, in golf just as a whole.
1: Yeah. And let's face it, there's other things in these elements, whether it's playing for your country or your team, the guys all wearing the same outfits, the guys cheering each other on from one hole to the other, like who's going to go out first, who's going to go out last, like all these things that the captains have to think about. Um, That's what makes it kind of fun too with a team element. You know, it is, uh, I used to do this quite a bit where we'd get about 12 friends or 16 friends, you can go out and you can pick teams, you know, eight versus eight, four versus four, six versus six or whatever. And you can can pick different formats to play and, you know, if you want to go, do like a a weekend somewhere where you can play multiple days that can really turn into something fun. I know a lot of guys that do this, like an annual tradition, they'll do it once a year with a group of friends or buddies. And, um, you know, those things are, are fun memories and you can play it at different courses and things like that. So there's a lot of creative ways to do something just besides going out and just playing your own ball and keeping your own score. There's a lot of other things to kind of change it up throughout the year that can make it really fun for you.
0: Yeah, definitely. So now with the President's Cup co- uh, all done, uh, wh- how do you think the the next year of golf is going to happen? When with leading up to next year's uh, Ryder Cup, you know, especially when you've got uh, all the talk on live golf and everything.
1: Yeah, the live golf piece obviously made golf uh, have a lot of headlines this year. Some of it for not necessarily positive reasons. Some of them for good reasons. But the PGA Tour next year is going to look different. There's going to be yep a set of tournaments that have bigger purses you could obviously say they were modeling what live has done in some capacity um the top 20 profiled players in the world are going to have a little bit chances to play in these events for the bigger pots so uh the money aspect that live was promising these players that they say hey the pga tour is not giving you these big pots pga tour has responded in some sense i don't think they'll ever be able to compete with the money that the Saudis and and you know the Live Group and Greg Norman are able to throw at players, yeah, um, and that's I that's the dilemma, you know, is if you are a player, and you want to guarantee yourself a big paycheck, something that'll set you up for life and maybe future generations of your family for life, you may have that opportunity, but you also may be playing essentially exhibitions, meaningless golf tournaments in terms of the public's view of them, you know, everybody. Can decide whether or not this a live tournament in a on a random course, how much worth you want to put into them winning that title, Um, and that might change over years. But at least right now, it's kind of worth nothing in my eyes. I mean, yeah, you win the tournament, you win the check, but I don't know if it really means anything. You know, now the the key that I've said in all this, the future of live and the PGA Tour and how it goes forward is what do the majors end up deciding about can these live golf players participate because no matter what in the world right now no matter what tour you play on the most important things are the majors and of course tiger woods made that even more of an importance with how he played his career and how he wanted to set benchmarks at majors so what do the people at augusta national do in terms of you know how do they invite people going forward are they going to do what they always do, which is invite the top 50 in the world, past champions. If you want won a PGA Tour event, you get to go. But some of these live players, because they're not accumulating world points, world ranking points, they're going to drop out of that top 50. Or because they're not playing PGA Tour events, they lose chances to win. So uh, with that being said, some of these guys over the next year or two may fall out of what would be an opportunity to play At the Masters. And then, you know, the U.S. Open, uh, the PGA of America that runs the PGA Championship, what do they do following suit? So I think you've got really the majors in terms of who runs these events, how they handle it going forward, of who gets invited and who doesn't. Uh, That might really be a big piece of how strong this live tour goes over the next few years here while guys start to drop in the world rankings. And then does live, do these live events actually accumulate? world ranking points. If they're not, it's still going to be viewed like exhibitions. It's going to be real tough for a lot of these guys to get in because they won't be getting wins on the PGA tour. They won't be getting uh, world ranking points. So unless they've won a major before somebody like Cam Smith, he just won the British open. So now he, at least for the next 10 years, gets an automatic, you know, invite, um, that I think to me is going to be the most interesting things. What are the guys that run the majors do and whether or not they give an essential open invite to these live players or not.
0: Yeah. That's the biggest goal for live going forward is getting the, their tournaments to account for world ranking points so that those players can still play in the majors. That's, and obviously they're still looking at getting a TV deal too, or at least some kind of broadcasting deal, not just streaming their tournaments on YouTube every, you know, for for all of them so it's we'll see how we'll see where that goes i i can't i've been saying from the beginning too that it really just comes down to what do the majors do I, I especially the masters I, I think the masters is the number one when it comes to this if they, if they start denying world ranking uh points or not world ranking parts start denying live players from playing especially if, i mean who knows what will happen this but with the uh USGA, the PGA of America, and the RNA when it comes to this as well. I mean, you they they're probably gonna follow suit too. And all and also too, I mean, you've got and you mentioned, you know, Cam Smith earlier, but like you got a bunch of other former major winners there as well. So especially, you know, when you look at like DJ and Phil, both of whom have won the Masters, who should be able to play regardless. If they get denied playing because of their because they're in Live, then I think I think Live as a whole is going to be screwed as a result.
1: I agree, and we know Augusta National is this, They control. They love to control everything in golf. They are probably the, the most strict body out of all of the people that run events. So, if they want to stand firm and say the Live golfers are not allowed. Even including past champions, which is something that's a, you know, the tradition unlike any other. Well, a lot of it is past champions playing, and if that means no Phil Mickelson and no Bobby Watson and no Dustin Johnson, and no Patrick Reed, like that's a pretty severe statement. It would make it much easier for the rest of the governing bodies than to follow along student say the same thing.
0: Definitely. Okay. All, right, all right. So we got to all that golf talk. All fun, and we, you know, we'll we see what happens uh, going into next year. But at, when we come back, we're going to talk a lot about the Sabres. They just had their first preseason game yesterday. We've got the season coming up, uh, training camp going on right now. They play tomorrow as well. So we'll we'll give, we'll give our, t- our thoughts on what's been going on with Sabres camp, and we will be right back. Tonight's show is brought to you by John and Mary's, a buffalo tradition for pizza, subs, and wings since 1952. From hoagies, subs, and wraps to traditional pizza and wings, John and Mary's menu is packed with old-time flavors and a few modern twists on classic recipes. You could cool down with Perry's ice cream or warm up with a cup of homemade soup. If you're not in the mood for pizza or wings, we have plenty of other options, seafood platters, burritos, fresh salads, and more. There is something fresh and delicious for everyone at your table. Catering, online ordering and delivery options available. Had to take a little sip there. I've been dealing with the cough lately, but we're back with the ranting cast. Uh, Brian Cozio with me. I'm Frank R. Curry. Uh, A lot of, a lot of golf talk talking about live and, what the if the players will even be able to play in the majors next year? Ryder Cup, Presidents Cup was just this past weekend with the U.S. winning. Uh, but now we got we got to talk talk about the Sabers. They got they they had their first preseason game yesterday. They end up beating Washington four to three in overtime. I see the comment Cousins will have the C on his jersey this year. I don't know about that. I want to hear Brian's thoughts about that too. But we also got uh, their second preseason game, which is tomorrow. Uh, at seven o'clock and just a lot of other training camp notes to talk about. So let's start with that first comment, Brian um, cousins will have the C on his Jersey. Do you think that's the case? I don't think so. I personally think if they're going to name a captain this year, I think it's going to be Kyle Oposo or Alex Tuck. What do you think?
1: I think there's a lot of good qualities in, in Dylan cousins, uh, but oh, absolutely. I, don't, I don't think at this moment, um, when Don Granado names the captain, and I think it'll be next week, that it'll be Dylan Cousins. Uh, I could see Dylan Cousins being uh, a captain down the road. I just don't see it happening right now with the other options that you laid out. I would be stunned if Kyle Oposo is not the captain of this team. I know that his long-term uh, lookout on this team may not be very long, but that locker room last year rallied around him in so many ways Mm-hmm. they talked about him in reverence like he was a father figure in so many ways and a leader so i i think that because of that plus of the fact that let's face it oposo had one of his best seasons as a saber offensively getting over 20 goals that that piece i think allows don granado to give the captaincy to him and it makes everybody happy there's not yes Maybe Dylan Cousins, maybe Alex Tuck, maybe Ross Mustalin, Players like that would be disappointed. But if it went to one of the other younger guys, I think you could you, you could make possibly any of them maybe bothered by it. There's nobody that would be bothered or upset if Kyle Oposo ends up being the captain of this team because of the fact of just his veteran experience, just what these guys say about him in the locker room. He's so well-respected. He does so much in the community. Let's face it, part of the reason the Sabres organization was upset with Jack Eichel of the fact that there were some things that weren't captain like in terms of how he conducted himself on and off the ice and oposo couldn't be better in terms of checking all the boxes of what you'd want your captain to be for now if he ends up if your captain ends up being your best player at the same time well all the better oposo isn't now um what sometimes could have been a butt end of the joke with with a contract that went away last year because of what he did to produce offensively so I think it's the right time for him to be named the captain. I would not want them to not have a captain again. I know that they've gone now. Uh, they went a full season without one, with Eichel being gone. I think Oposo is the right move. You mentioned Alex Tuck. I think he's the top candidate, maybe, to wear one of the A's. To me, I think Dylan Cousins could fit wearing an A. If I'm going to predict, I think the other one goes to Rasmus Dalin. I think. Yeah,
0: just, that's my thought, too.
1: Yeah, the long term contract that was just signed, the fact that. He's really been vocal about wanting to be here. I think that means something in the organization. Kevin Adams and Don Granado have said multiple times, and I think it's a big reason why Jack Eichel's not here, said about we want players that want to be here. And uh, I think Alex Tuck and Ross Dahlien have been quite vocal about that. And again, this is nothing against the Cousins' argument. I just think those two are stronger at the moment. So I see it, If, if you know, if you're looking for my predictions, I see it that Oposa will wear the C. And Tuck and Darlene would the A's.
0: Yeah, that's that's been my thought too. Uh, going in, I my my only thought about uh, Tuck being captain is, I think you know he'll be he's going to be here a lot longer. I kind of think that this is a Postal's last season with the Sabers. It might even be his last season in the NHL in general. Just when you look at age and especially. You know, his the way his style of play, I mean, we've seen him get injured a lot here, spe- you know, especially when he had concussion problems. Um, so I just wonder if, if maybe he thinks this is the end of the road for him. He doesn't really see himself signing another NHL contract. and You never know, obviously, but I wondered if they maybe they would consider talk for that just because, well, he'll he's going to be here through the end of his contract at the very least, which is another four years.
1: Yeah. I that would right. be yet. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and and Oposo's future with the Sabers contractually could end at this year. You're right. Um, if he can score 20 again, I would think the team would be open to bringing him back. Now at the same money, no, but you could see him doing essentially what they're doing with Craig Anderson, which oh, is yeah. if are you still contributing in the room? Yes. Are you still contributing on the ice? yes, okay, if it makes financial sense for both of us, let's see if we can make it work. Mm-hmm. So I could kind of see them going year by year with Oposo in that same sense that it looks like it might be playing out with Craig Anderson in that in that capacity. So I think Alex Tuck will be the captain of this team after Kyle Oposo is done. The timeline we could debate, but yeah. I, think, I think Alex Tuck is lining himself up to be the next captain after Kyle Oposo.
0: I think so too. It's really just dependent on when does Oposo not play for the Sabres anymore. It, it could be as soon it could even be as soon as before the season's over if, you know, maybe they just maybe the a decision comes to be made that Oposo, even though you're doing really well and we're likely not making the playoffs, you know, will deal will deal you to a contender to so that you can go and try and win a Stanley Cup because that's something he hasn't done and he's getting he and since he's nearly nearing the end of his career. That might be something he would he might consider too, but you never know. It really just depends on what does Kyle want to do. He might want to just stay in Buffalo and and finish his career here. You, you more than likely that probably is the case, but you never know. You want to at least give the opportunity for that. I mean, we saw that at last year's deadline with uh, Craig Anderson. He was almost traded. Um, it sounded like, and he ultimately told uh, told Kevin Adams, "I want to stay." but even though he had the opportunity to get traded and go to a contender to potentially win a Stanley Cup, I remember I think the Leafs were interested in him, uh, if I recall. So you know that those conversations are always going to come up. You know that these are that these are tough decisions that got to be made. But I think ultimate ultimately, at the end of the day, it just comes down to what the player wants to do.
1: I would agree. And as long as Oposo's not a liability on the ice, which he definitely was not last year. In fact, he helped the team quite often. In situations. Um, I got to think that as long as the contract works well, and Oposo's made a lot of money over the course of his career, so I got to think that he wouldn't be out after the season looking for lots of money that if they want to bring him back for another year, it could happen. Um, You know, and that's part of why I think there is this excitement about what's happening towards this season. Yeah, that you have Very few players, Frank, That unlike in previous years where we sit here and look and say, well, that person really, you know, should they be on the team? Boy, we're stuck with his contract. Boy, did they go downhill? Like you look at all these players that are returning. Most of them are either super young, have all peaked, had their peak season last year and we're hoping for more uh, or are on the veteran side. You are seeing them maybe get kind of a second wind to their career or a resurgence. Um, I'll, I'll throw Jeff Skinner into this mix. Mm-hmm. Jeff Skinner, of course, his first year comes here, scores 40 goals, and gets the huge contract. And then all of a sudden, the two years with Ralph Kruger, terrible, terrible, and we're all sitting here wondering why. Was that maybe one of the biggest mistakes ever, giving him that contract? Now, he's still making a ton of money, but if he does what he did last year, which is score over 30 goals a season, and he seemed as though he even – improved in his two-way play a little bit more well now you're saying hey maybe Jeff Skinner's got a resurgence here that he can give yourself another three four years of solid play that that contract doesn't sting as much so um he was able to spin it around and I mean let's face it we got to give Don Granato a lot of credit he has done that yeah quite a bit now with a few players we could say the same about Rasmus Dahlin uh, what we saw under Ralph Kruger versus what we saw under Don Granato even a little of what we see now with Casey Middlestat, I'd like to see it more consistently and him being more healthy, but that's another story. And of course, maybe the busy, biggest example that we have to give Don Granado for is what he's done with Tage Thompson's career. And of course, yep. Thompson landing that monster contract off of one season, which, you know, this is Kevin Adams' maybe biggest ricks in terms of the salary cap and contracts. Uh, the Eichel trade will go down maybe as his biggest move, But this is his biggest financial commitment to someone that doesn't have a long track record of success in Tage Thompson. um, But if he continues to play like he did a few years from now, we'll be talking about what a bargain it is.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think the biggest thing going into the season for the Sabres is they got a lot of options, too, especially at the forward position. Um, I mean, we, we've been talking about Akposo, Skinner, Tuck. I mean, you just mentioned Thompson's going to be the number one center going in. Um, you got Olofsson back for another couple of years. We were talking about Cousins earlier. Uh, Peyton Krebs is going to have a permanent spot on this team, too, It's just whether or not does he play wing or does he play center. Um you know, Gergen since has been looking, uh, has been playing center so far in camp. uh, So, and then you have Rasmus Asplin as well. And then you got a couple of young guys who are looking to make, to make a permanent spot in the lineup too. And uh, Jack Quinn and JJ Paterka. So you wonder it, you wonder if at least we think at least Quinn's going to make the roster. Uh, The the other question is, does Paterka do it too? And where in the lineup do they play is going to also be the biggest question. And, who do they play with as well? Um, I'm constantly debating back and forth. You know, do what uh, do you want to split up the Tuck Skinner Thompson line and maybe put Tuck with a guy like Paterka, so that to kind of help bring him along if he makes the roster, or even Quinn as well, just for that same reason, just so that you get a veteran leader in that. Uh, uh, next, next to that young hot shot rookie that they're that they're going to have, or two rookies that they're going to have. I'm um, curious to see your thoughts about. It, and then we gotta take another break.
1: Yeah, these two players. I think you're right on. I think Quinn is as safe as it can be about for him to be there. I think Paterka. I'd bet on him making it. But do you want him playing with players that have that offensive skill that can let him thrive? And I'd say the same about Quinn. Not to say that we have a bunch of grinders on this team. I think. Probably there's not that many, but there are different roles that you play with different players depending upon what line that you're on. So I would like Quinn and Paterka if they are going to be on the team to find themselves regularly playing with the with the handful of players that you mentioned, those offensive more skilled players, because that's what Quinn and Paterka have the skill set of, and you'd like to see them go together. I mean, and again, this is nothing negative about Oposo and Gergensen's in that line, like with Asplund in that line that we saw last year together for a little bit, but if you're going to put JJ Paterka as the third player on that line, like, and then you're sitting here saying, well, how come he's only got four goals at the halfway point? Well, that's just because probably that's what that line is set out to do. Yep. So I, I think if you want it, it'd be, <laughs> it's really tough to break up that top line with how good they were last year. But if you want to start creating depth and more layers in your team to give yourself multiple opportunities to scoring, it's gotta be something that Don Granado has to be thinking about. Hey, I can, even though it might make that top line just a tad less in terms of dangerous. But now I've got maybe two or three lines that can kind of bring their level up to the point where now we've got three lines that can put the puck in the net. Yeah,
0: that's ultimately going to be the question at the end of the day. And also, we didn't even mention that they brought back Vinny Stroza too, potentially to play in the lineup if they decide to keep Turker and Rochester to start the year, more likely would be the case. But... We'll see what happens there. Uh, We got to take another break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more on training camp, some surprises that's been going on, uh, some thoughts on on yesterday's game, some thoughts on going into tomorrow. And we'll finish up maybe with trying to predict where the Sabres will be this season. So until then, we'll be right back here on the Ranting Cast. Located in the heart of Buffalo's Theater District, the Buffalo Dinosaur Barbecue occupies a former vault that stored movies for Universal International Pictures. Dinosaur Barbecue has been in Buffalo since 2014 and is located on 301 Franklin Street. Looking for a food stop after your day trip to Niagara Falls? Only 30 minutes away. All right, back here All right, back here for the last segment of the Ranting Cast. Frank R. Curry, Brian Koziel with me, uh, talking a, lo- a lot about uh, golf, uh, Sabres with some training camp stuff, with maybe where does Quinn fit in the lineup, where does Paterka fit in the lineup, do they split the top lineup. Uh, so far, though, you know, which with uh, training camp just starting on and the Sabres just played their first game yesterday uh, against Washington, beating them 4-3 to three in overtime, uh, what have you noticed uh, from training camp so far?
1: Well, if, if I'll, I'll start with a player maybe that we haven't talked about that maybe fans didn't have on their radar coming in, and that's Tyson Kozak. I was very, very impressed with what he did in the prospects camp. I thought he was mm-hmm. one of the Sabers' best players uh, in those games uh, when Buffalo went 3-0, and and Kozak was a big reason why. Uh, not only was his energy evident on the ice, but he was a playmaker, and he put the puck in the net. I mean, that was, that's a really nice trifecta to have, to have all those capabilities. So Kozak, to me, if you look at the analytics, he's had a really, really good look at some of those games of what he's done so far. Um, I'm curious to see maybe where he fits in the organization. I still don't know necessarily if you'd say he could make the Sabres, but I think he's a guy worth looking at in this preseason to see necessarily, hey, maybe he's a guy that gets called up in that first run when we have that first injury or two. Uh, that could ultimately maybe impress enough that he could have a shot to be, uh, have some NHL action this year. So I've been impressed with him this year. Um, the other storyline I think that we definitely, uh, I feel like we'll be mentioning quite a bit is what happens in net and in goal. That was the biggest storyline, I think, going into the offseason. What was Kevin Adams going to do? Mm-hmm. Uka Pekka to me, like, that's the wild card in this all. Does he, over the course of training camp and preseason, look like the best goalie? I think he clearly has to be the best goalie if they're going to keep him. Mm -hmm. Kevin Adams said in his press conference, listen, we know it's important for UPL to play. And he said, and this is why I'm thinking Rochester is where he starts, unless he's clearly the best. He said, it doesn't matter necessarily to us whether where he plays, it's how often he plays. To me, that sounds like, okay, you're going to play basically every night you physically are able to play in Rochester. If he and Comrie and Anderson, if they're all kind of on an equal par, uh, they obviously brought in Comrie to possibly be the number one. Uh, I would see him with Anderson as the backup and UPL playing as much as physically possible in Rochester. If if Lukaden is legitimately way better than these other two players, then, well, maybe you've got a decision to make. Do you? I mean – it's really tough in terms of, you know, you went out and you gave this money to Comrie. Like, how do you deal with him maybe not playing? Or Anderson, you obviously had the conversation about coming back, um, which is why it really seems to me like it's all lining up, that unless there's something absolutely crazy that happens in training camp, uh, we're going to see Comrie and Anderson be one and two in Buffalo, and and just play a ton uh, in Rochester. The college goalies, we didn't get to see them in the prospects camp. Uh, Eric Portillo, Devin Levi. Mm-hmm their seasons had already started uh, yep. with their respective schools. So we didn't even get a chance to see them play. Um, so at least those top three goalies, that's kind of how I see it playing out. I think Comrie obviously will be something that uh, over the first 10 to 12 games, like that'll, that'll be a major story. Um, how does he play? Does he look like a number one goaltender? The fact that his sample size of stats are so small, but they are good. That's something that's got to be intriguing. I know. I know probably to Adams and the Sabres front office, like, look, maybe this, maybe we found kind of a diamond in the rough here. This guy has good numbers, even though he hasn't played a ton in the NHL as a starter. And maybe we found some somebody here under the radar a little that can come in and put up number one goalie numbers. They clearly last year could have been even better last year in the middle of the season, when they were kind of up and down and we saw glimpses of what we saw in those last 28 games, a lot of the reason I thought that they didn't get the job done was because of very poor goaltending or inconsistent goaltending, letting in that bad goal at the wrong time. Uh, Obviously the last 28 games it turned around when they played at that over hundred point pace. So if they can get much better goaltending, I think that's going to go a long way for this team to see if they can maybe somehow find their way into the top eight in the Eastern conference. It's going to be very, very tough to do. Uh, The East is loaded. Some of the teams that I would say were maybe on level with Buffalo, they went out and made trades. Columbus did that, we know, with Goudreau. Then,
0: yep, signing uh, Goudreau.
1: Yep, Jersey made some moves. Philadelphia made mm-hmm. some moves. And, you know, you're hoping maybe one of these other teams fall back, but Florida went out and made another big move. So um, it is, it is going to be a very, very, very tough – we talk about, what, how loaded the AFC is with the Bills – I kind of the, feel like the Atlantic
0: is-, is loaded. Yeah, I year, kind of feel so. that way with
1: the Sabres division. It's going to be yeah. very tough to be anywhere near the top three.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, mean, I, I agree. I think this team loves Comrie so much, and there is a reason. Obviously, this is like the biggest reason they signed him. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to check out their latest embedded series. Uh, yeah. they were talking about the free agency. Talk, you know, you just hear Sam Ventura talking about. Well, with comry we have numbers going back to, you know, a few games in seventeen, eighteen and even sixteen, seventeen. And he just gets he just getting better and better each year. And he, you know, he was playing at a top five pace as an AHL goalie at twenty two and twenty three years old. And got he and he's saying, you know, guys like that tend to become starters and in, in the next few years after putting up those kind of numbers. And we're kind of in that few years now and you know, and so this organization definitely believe, you know, using these analytic, numbers, believe that Comrie can be that, and it that starter starting goaltender. And he's still young enough to where that, that he can still be better than what he was last season, or at least put up similar numbers at a, at a higher pace than last season too. He's only 27. That's still, that's still not hitting your full peak as a goaltender that, t- that tends to be the case. So It's very interesting to see, you know, how many games he gets to start the year as well. You know, you mentioned probably the first 10 to 12 games, you know, will be a big storyline. I just I wonder just how many games he plays to start the year, if anything. And then, yeah, whoever the backup is going to be, whether it's Craig Anderson and UPL, I, I think if UPL, unless he's overwhelmingly the best goaltender and it's not even close, then he'll be here. But I think I think anything less than that he starts in Rochester. And I, you mentioned that he's gonna play like every single game that he possibly can uh to start the year to for the whole season, however long he's in Rochester. And then obviously he's the first call up if, if an injury happens too. Um but uh right on the screen too, you know, the we see the the goathead jersey, which is back now this year. Uh maybe even going forward in the next few years, uh you know Brian, what do you, you, you like the move with the gold head. I love it. I grew up with it. So I wonder, I wonder if you feel the same.
1: I love it for the group of age that are just a little younger than me, which includes you Yeah, because that's what the team grew up on. And it was so good. Um, it sparks memory of the Hashik days and the peck days like you see there. Yep. So I'm happy that the fans are happy about it. Um, when I was a teenager and they made the switch, I went right I was at the unveiling at the odd. I was sitting in the blues watching it. Uh, machine heads playing when they came out on the ice. It was mm-hmm. pretty cool. I bought a jersey. Um, I still have it. I think I'll be looking forward to digging that out of the closet. Um, you know, you look at iconic franchises. Of course, a lot of them haven't changed their logos. The original six teams, their They're jerseys never, and their logos yeah. have pretty much stayed the same minor tinkering here and there. You know, if you said to me, could I go back in time? Would I love the Sabres to keep the same colors and logos the whole time? My answer would be yes. But that's fair. What's done is done. So if this is what people are excited about because this is what they grew up on, then I'm all for it and I'm excited for them. And those will be great nights when they're down there because it'll be a lot of reminiscing about those great teams, especially the ones that made the 99 Cup finals and the ones, the two that came out of the conference finals that went all the way to the East finals. So. Uh, those will be fun too. Part of sports why we love it, we love to reminisce about the past and uh, that'll be on display those nights when they're wearing those jerseys.
0: Yeah, definitely going to going to be fun. I, it really it, you know it's funny too. It makes me wonder if we see in a few years they make a vintage slug jersey just for the heck of it as well. Just just for that those memories. I mean, they won the President's trophy wearing those jerseys. So oh you wonder if maybe they bring those back for a night or, or multiple nights as well. Um. So right, right. As we end the show, I got, I got to ask, how do you think the season is going to go? Like what, where do you kind of feel they fall in the standings?
1: Well, we mentioned the last 28 games, they play it at 103 point pace. Mm-hmm. If they could somehow pull that off to be at a hundred, I think they're in the playoffs. I really do. I Not do that too. these other teams are going to fall off that long or fall off that far, but There is going to be some variability. It just happens every year. Some team maybe is going to fall back a little. You do get injuries across the board. Maybe there's a key injury on another team that brings them back down. My concern is what I said is the tier that I think are with the Sabres ready to make that next jump, they all made significant moves. Are they still going to be ahead of Columbus? Are they still going to be ahead of Detroit? Detroit, we know, got a year older and made some more aggressive news. Uh, is Montreal going to come back if they get better play in net this year? So uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey, these are some teams, like those will be key games. And good for us that we get meaningful games against some of these teams in the East. We haven't had meaningful games in a long time. Uh, officially, I would say I'm not predicting them to make the playoffs just because of the volume of teams. Um, but a step in the right direction for sure. If I was looking at a point total, I'm going to go low 90s for the Sabres this year in the East, which is still good because that means – in the final month of the season, they're still in the playoff race, which is something we mm-hmm. haven't had here for many, many, many years.
0: Yeah, I'm predicting around high eighty high eighties for them this year. I, I think they're gonna end up being probably when you look at the conference, I would say tenth would be my guess. Maybe they sneak into ninth, uh, and maybe they get a maybe get into the low nineties. I'm not really a hundred percent sure we mentioned Ottawa. i mentioned ottawa too is another team. a lot of big moves in the offseason a lot of team people are really hyped on as well i'm not sold on them a hundred percent same thing with detroit but i mean you you never really know um you know the islanders is another team that they're going to have to compete with i think everyone's going to love the rangers this year too uh and we'll see what happens with them but yeah i mean I, if I had to predict right now, I'm going to go low eighty or high 80s, low 90s around there. Maybe in the division, I could see them being. I could easily see them being fifth as well. Uh, we we'll maybe. I think maybe six is probably more likely, but you know we'll see what happens with that. Uh, next preseason game we have is tomorrow. Uh, they play philly tomorrow i believe yeah
1: correct so i'll be its it, home yep
0: yeah and it's a home game too so uh you know you'll, you're going to be covering that uh so you no know, we'll, we'll definitely be hearing from you tomorrow you know going in and you
1: no. Know,
0: oh, sorry but we're gonna and end the sh- we're gonna end the show there, Brian. First off, thank St. you for coming on. Uh, you can find Brian at, on Twitter at Brian WGR. Don't forget every Saturday, listen to T to Green at nine AM, and Scott Sabers pregame tomorrow at six at six as well. So we'll we'll hear from Brian again tomorrow. Uh, thank you, like I said, thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Ranting Cast.